bless you. You know, there's no words that can adequately express how blessed we are to be here, to know what we know, hear what we hear, see what we see, and have the opportunity to fellowship with some of the greatest people walking on God's earth. Amen. I want you to stand, please, and I'd like to go right into the Word. I'd like to invite you to 2 Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 7. And the last time I had the opportunity to speak, I spoke about a sound mind, and I would just like to take a springboard off of this scripture in Second Timothy. And before we read, let's pray. Father, it is such a humbling privilege to know that when your children bow their heads, that they are entering into a supernatural atmosphere with a God that knows all things, with a God that can hear every prayer that is, that is spoken all around the world at the same time and has the right answer to every prayer simultaneously. And Father, we have a, a great need tonight, and that is to know more of you, to be filled with more of your Spirit, to have your perfect will done in our lives, Father, to give us discipline, to give us patience, Father, to be able to give us wisdom and understanding, Father, of how to be a, a son of God in the midst of Satan's Eden with Jezebel religion and the God of this evil age all around us, walking around the anointed ones at the end times, Father, and knowing that you have given us a super sense. Father, we pray that you would sharpen that sense tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to move all men out of the way and only Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, would be seen and heard. We ask that you would bless your children, Lord. Give them what they have need of, Father. And some that don't even know they have need, I pray that you would fill them tonight. We ask all these blessings in your precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 7, Just one verse. Paul says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God bless you, and you can have your seats. I would like to take tonight as a title for this message, A Fool for Christ. And I I would like to speak about the nature and the character of one who is truly filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God, who has an understanding of his mission, his position, his ministry, the day he's living in, what God has done for him in this day. And uh, I'd like to right away go to the the book of Romans and chapter 8 and verse 35. And Paul is saying, who shall separate us from the love of God? And then he goes into many different situations that are possibilities for separating you from the love of God. And at the end of it, he says, nay, no way, 
There's nothing, no how, no way that can separate you from the love of God. Now I'd like to go back to the beginning of Paul's ministry, and that would be in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, if we can back up just a little bit, how did Paul wind up in this situation? Well, first of all, Paul, he was of a Pharisee family. His family was very religious, and he had a burden in his life. He was raised up in Jerusalem, wanted to go into the ministry, and by his own estimation, he excelled everybody that was in the Jewish yeshiva with him. If they prayed, he prayed more. If they fasted, he fasted more. Whatever they did, he did more. And uh, so now Saul, one day, he's in a situation where Stephen is blasting all the, the Jewish leaders. And he's really given it to him. He was a great deacon. And so finally they were so angry I mean, you know, they were like out of their mind at this man, and they looked at him as like the lowest of the low. If, if back then, if you were a Pharisee, if you looked at a Gentile, they were like a dog. And, and, and so they're looking at this man, and he's lecturing them, and they're looking around for somebody, an elder, that can give them permission to take this guy out of his misery. And so they look around and just happen Saul standing there. And so they confer with Saul and Saul says, uh, yep, yep, he's guilty. Uh, I'll hold the coats. You go get the rocks. And they went and got the rocks real quick. And they bashed Stephen's head in. And just before Stephen breathed his last breath, he said, I saw the Lord standing at the right hand. And uh, I find that, you know, our Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And this is, I'm maybe going out on a limb, but I believe maybe Jesus stood to receive Stephen as one of the first martyrs that had shed his blood. And so now the word gets around. You see, Christians, that was a real big problem for the Jews in that day because they were spreading like wildfire. The Holy Ghost, when the Holy Ghost got a hold of the people that Peter preached that, they began preaching to other people. And the Jews, they were so angry that this was taking place. And they were looking for somebody who could help them. So when they heard about Saul, they bring him into the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, that's like the World Council of Churches today. That's the, the Sanhedrin Council is the leaders of the Jews. And they said, Saul, we've heard about you. We need a man like you desperately. You've heard about these, these vermin, these cockroaches called Christians that, that are running around here and they're blaspheming and they're causing all kinds of problems and they're coming against the very law that Moses gave us in the Torah. We need somebody who can put a stop to this and we've heard about you and your track record and so we're willing to finance your program. Anything you need, we'll give you the men, the, the horses, the finances. You go and you just wipe them out. 
Now, you can imagine now Saul with all his zeal, all of his spiritual pride, he said, ah, I knew all that praying that I did was going to pay off one day. I knew all that fasting that I did. I knew one day that God had something for me to do. And now here I find myself. The leaders, the Sanhedrin council has called me in. And they have given me this leadership program to go out and exterminate all these ones that are against what we believe and know is the truth. And so Saul, he was very faithful to his commission. And he went out and he went from town to town and he beat and whipped men, women, and children. Now these, these were freshly minted, Holy Ghost filled children, fresh from Pentecost. And Paul went out there and dragged them from their houses. Innocent people, loving people, godly people, and now this monster is coming in with all of all, all of his demons. And, and, and as far as they're concerned, all, I mean, they couldn't do enough bad to these people. They could not hurt them bad enough, and they dragged him and threw him into prisons. And Saul, while he's going to Tarsus, it, it, it's just a, a, another. I mean, to, to Damascus, it's just another day in the life of Saul. Probably had a great big old horse he's riding on and just kind of maybe even had the tour out there while he was riding along, you know, and so proud of what he's doing and, and, and so filled with, with himself. And finally, you know, Jesus had had enough and he said, okay, Saul, and he knocked him off his horse and, uh, and, and, and he spoke to him. He said, he said, Saul, Saul. And, uh, and he said, who art thou? Lord, and Brother Branham was very explicit. He said, Saul knew that whoever it was that had knocked him off his horse was God. Because a radical Pharisee would never say Lord to somebody who wasn't God. And so he knew that that was God. And, and the one that knocked him off his horse answered and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, you, you imagine what an what a arrow that must have been to Saul's heart. He said, Jesus, he said, and Jesus said, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it, Saul? And you know, to the backslider, to the one who's not where he's supposed to be with God, it's hard to kick against the pricks. It's hard to go your own way when you know you're supposed to be going God's way. And, uh, you know, sooner or later, if you're a child of God, sooner or later, you're going to go God's way. <laughs> and uh, there was a song they used to sing. It said, uh, and I'm so thankful for that song. It said, it's not the first mile you'll be judged by. It's the last mile along the way. And so I can tell you, friends, we are on that last mile right now. And if Brother Branham said that it was three minutes to midnight when he was here, uh, 50-some years ago, I wonder how many seconds to midnight it is right now. And so here we are. We're on the last mile. So, so now Saul, I mean, he, he, he's astounded. He's stunned. He's blinded. And, 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 and he said he was blinded by the glory of the light that knocked him off his horse. And so his pride went out the window real fast. And now he's blind, and he's walking along, and they had to walk along. And, and, and so Jesus, so Saul said, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, uh, uh, no, these guys will bring you somewhere, and I'll tell you what to do. And uh, so now, here's Saul. He's blind. He's in a room. 
He doesn't eat anything for three days, doesn't drink anything for three days. Now, he does not know he's going to become the Apostle Paul. He doesn't know that at all. All as he knows, I want you to listen real good, all as Saul knows at this point is, I am in big trouble. I am probably in more trouble than anybody has ever been in in the whole world. I have been persecuting the children of the Messiah that we have been waiting for thousands of years to come. And what I have done, beating and whipping and kicking and doing all these things to them. How am I? Look at me, I'm blind in this room. I'm in depression, anxiety. Talk about the stress express. He was on it. And so now, God goes to one of his other faithful servants. He said, uh, Ananias, got a job for you in a vision. He says, uh, he said, I want you to go and speak to Saul. And, and Ananias said, Lord, he, he, I've heard about that guy. He's a dangerous man. And God says, yeah, I know it. But don't worry, he's praying. He said, you go and you speak to him, and I have got to tell him about the many things that he has got to suffer for my namesake. So now Ananias goes there, you know, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, cautiously in the beginning, but knowing that God spoke to him. So he probably had a little pep in his step, but still, you know, the heart's probably, you know, doing some palpitations. And he goes in there, and there's Saul, blind. And Ananias goes there and lays his hands on him. Agapo love, brother Saul. And his eyes come open and he speaks to him and he baptizes him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he is filled with the Holy Ghost. Now friends, I, you know, I, I love the Bible, because the Bible is full of, of paradoxes and paradigms. For many other reasons, but I love the paradoxes and the paradigms that are in the Bible. I love the mind of God. <laughs> you, you, anytime you think you got God all figured out, you're wrong. <laughs> go, go back and start over again. Who can know the mind of God? The, the finite mind of man cannot understand the infinite mind of God. And so now, God, He begins to speak to Saul. Now, I don't know how long he spoke to him. I don't know how much he told him of what he was going to have to suffer. Probably if he told Paul the full extent of what he was going to have to go through, Paul, he might have fainted right on the spot. So maybe he told him just a little bit, just to get him started. And so, so now, Saul, remember now, Saul is this intense religious man, one of the most intense men in the land. Now he's gone from being a radical Pharisee to being a Holy Ghost-filled Christian. He knows Messiah has come. He knows Messiah has just spoke to him personally, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, put him in prison, and sent the messenger to lay hands on him, filled him with the Holy Ghost, and now what do I do now? What's the program? So now... He goes to see the apostles. You think the apostles were happy to see Saul? Oh, no. 
None of the people that were Christians, they knew that Saul was the man who had letters from the Sanhedrin council to go from town to town and drag any way he could those who believed in this way and drag them into prison. So the apostles, they think it's a trap. They think it's a trick. Going to get us all together and then call in all the Romans and all the Jews and arrest us all together. So I, I can just, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall. <laughs> and, 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 and Saul says, Peter, what's wrong with you? I thought you believed Jesus. Don't you believe in justification? Don't you believe in sanctification, the baptism of the Holy Ghost? That's me, brother. I've been justified. I know what I was. I know what I did. But Jesus himself, the same Jesus that you know, come and appeared to me, knocked me off the horse, and gave me a commission. Now, I'm here. What are we going to do? What's the program? When are we going to get started? And the apostles said, whoa, buddy. Uh-uh. No, no. Now, remember, now these apostles, these are Holy Ghost-filled people. Supposed to have supernatural discernment, but they couldn't discern that this was a genuine conversion that had taken place. A radical paradigm shift. Now, the definition of paradigm shift is a radical change of thought brought about by a very unusual situation or a keen insight into a matter. And I believe that Paul had a radical situation... And he had a very keen insight into what was going on. I can imagine his mind must have been going a million miles a minute. Because while he was in that, 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 that room, and while he was blind, and while he wasn't eating or drinking, Jesus was probably walking around in his mind. He, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of his peace upon his head. By his stripes we were healed. You know, there's 714 prophecies in the Old Testament about Messiah. And I don't know how many of them Jesus reminded Saul of, but there's probably a few. And so now Saul, you know, he's, what am I going to do? And he goes out there and he goes out and he preaches. He goes to the synagogues. Now, here's the ones that have hired him. Here's the one. This is our champion, Saul. He's going to wipe them out. Everything's going to get back to normal after all these cockroaches are gone. Hey, that guy we hired, he's preaching, he's preaching against us. He's preaching about Jesus. You want to talk about being upset? They got a garrison. They got a whole squadron of soldiers, a hit team to go out. They put a contract out on Saul's life. We got to get him. We got to stop him. So now, Saul, I mean, he is with passion, with vigor. Paul was a man among men of his time as a Pharisee. But now, with the extra anointing of the Holy Ghost, he was a truth broker. He was a reality broker. He was dealing with truth in large doses. And they couldn't handle it. Nobody could handle it. The Jews wanted to kill him. The apostles, who should have been his brothers, they would have nothing to do with him. So finally, after some unsuccessful trips 
into the synagogues and, and trying to convince people that he really had been converted and he really believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the resurrection had really happened. And you know, all these things are true. No success. So what does he do? Has to go back to Arabia. And he sat there in Arabia. And you know what he did for, for three years? He sat there and he had the Bible. He's sitting there going over the types, shadows, reading that old thing. Yeah, here he is. I see him again. Wow, how could we have ever missed it? How could our leaders have been so blind? I mean, it's right there. It's like a strobe light shining out of the Bible. We were waiting for him. But he didn't come the way we thought he was going to come. And now look at the mess our people are in. Blind. <laughs> Saul, he hadn't had revelation yet, but they were blind, miserable, wretched, poor, naked, and they surely didn't know it. They had a real good dose of spiritual pride. And when the, see, the truth is God's exclamation point. And Paul, he was God's exclamation point to the Pharisees of that day. But they couldn't take it. They couldn't handle it. So Saul, he goes back. And for three years, we don't hear anything about him except he's back in Arabia. And then finally he gets the call. He gets the call and he comes out and he begins to minister. And so the, the apostles, they start to listen to him. So let's go back now to, to Acts. Chapter 9 and verse 1. I want to give you a little more in-depth right from the Bible. You know, friends, when I read, I've been studying this for a while. I can tell you I got emotional several times when I was reading this book of Acts for the things that Paul went through. You know, Brother Branham said, do you like to read between the lines? The sweetest the sweetest truths are there between the lines. And when you read, he said, every, read every, if you don't see Jesus in every sentence, go back and read it again. And so I take it word by word by word by word. And I'm trying to think who, what, when, where, why. All the time, dissecting word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. And then it gets so deep, I said, I've got to go back and read that again. It's, it's just like a, a message book, just like a SEALs book, church age book. I know a friend of mine, he's a re real, you, you would know if I said his name. But every time he goes overseas, he takes a church age book and a SEALs book, brand new one. And he takes it with him and he reads them all the way on the trip over. And he underlines them. And then he goes back home and he takes the church age of SEALs from previous trips and looks at them and sees what he underlined the last time and what he underlined this time. And he said, if I had brought that same church age or same SEALs book, all as I would have read is what I had underlined the last time. But he said, it's so unusual what I saw the second time and over and over and over. And that's how the Bible is. The Bible, you know, it, it's living bread. It's supernatural manna, like the manna that the children fed from 40 years in the wilderness. And you know what? After a while, they got used to it. It became common to them. You know, 40 years, 3 million people plus all the animals, they got manna, then they got quail, then they got water. I love that little picture, little rock they have with the water tinkling out of the little rock. 
that fed three million people plus all the... I'm talking about the, the people that came out and their children and the animals. Enormous amounts of water and manna and quail. Shoes never wore out. Clothes never wore out. But it was normal to them. Never got sick. Normal. No problem. Where'd the manna come from? I don't know. Just here. It's God. It's our history. That's our heritage. And oftentimes, we, we, are the, the, we are the ones upon whom the ends of the earth, the ends of the world are coming. It's you and I. The ones that are supposed to be the super church, the super race, the supernatural species, part of God's supernatural idea. And yet, oftentimes, we have a hard time just saying, Amen. You know, I, I was talking to a couple of the brothers, you know, I said, you know, some of the people in our church, they're going to give me inferiority complex. They're going to think I'm the only kook in this church. Everybody here, we should have a, we should have a service where we just practice saying, Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. But instead, what we, we have a people that are living in the land of Nod. Now, God sees your Nod. I'm not saying God doesn't see your Nod. But Brother Branham said that you need to help the minister who's preaching. It's our responsibility. You know the definition of the word responsibility? Responsibility. Having the ability to respond. Response ability. Can you say amen? Some yeah. of you can. <laughs> I said it last time. The reason why some of you don't say it because you're afraid that guy's going to think I'm a kook, you know, and I'm looking for a husband. <laughs> or you're afraid that girl's going to think you're a kook and I'm looking for a wife. <laughs> Believe me, if they think you're a kook because you say amen, <laughs> that's not the right one for you. I remember Brother Red a long time ago. He said, when you're looking for a wife or you're looking for a husband, he said, you better make sure that that person is absolutely filled to overflowing with the genuine Holy Ghost. And you better make sure that you're filled to overflowing with the Holy Ghost before you make that kind of a decision. Because there's going to be trials. Without the Holy Ghost, you've got major problems. Even with the Holy Ghost, you have a problem. So Saul now, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went unto the high priest, and he desired of him letters to the synagogues that if he found any in the way, whether they men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came to Damascus, and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood. This was about noontime this happened. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. And Saul arose from the earth when his eyes were open and saw no man. And they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. And there three days without sight and neither did eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And he said, Excuse me. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision the man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints, Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. So you see, it's nice to hear somebody expound upon it, but then you go right back in the Word of what you just heard, and sometimes, wow, it's right there in the Word. Right there in the Word. Happened just like that. Brother Ernie didn't speak evangelistically. <laughs> he spoke right what the Word said. <laughs> you probably heard of some people speaking evangelistically once in a while. So, so now Saul, he, he has this incredible desire. And finally the Lord puts him back into action. And he goes out and he gets hooked up with Barnabas and they start going out and all their journeys. And, and, and the missionary, Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Brother Branham said that. And he, he said he was, he was a super intellectual man. He, he was a believer. He was a super intelligent man who had a divine purpose in his life. And that purpose was unquenchable. He knew there were souls. You want to talk about a man who had to have a vision. I mean, here's Saul. He is one man. He's one man. And, and, and there's a group of apostles and, and, and several thousand people who have received the Holy Ghost. But now Saul's looking out at a mission field of millions of people. And he says, you know, so far, I'm the only one that seems to have got what I've got. And how am I going to ignite all the other people? See, Paul, in, in, in the church world, Saul was a fanatic. Many people would have said, he's a fool. I had people, when I try to tell them what I believe in the message, they tell me I'm a nut. And I say, yeah, I'm a nut, but I'm screwed to the right bolt. That's for sure. And Paul, he had to have that same understanding. They said, you've lost your mind. He said, that's right. I've got the mind of Christ. So now Saul's out there, and he finally, he, he, he's, sowing, he's sowing the seeds. He, he, he's founding churches. He's finding leaders, raising up leaders, spending time in some churches, six months here, a couple of years here, and he's laying the foundation. And like Brother Branham said, we just had the last messenger from Sodom leave, and Brother Branham said, Billy Graham goes, and he has 20,000 decisions. He says, come back six months later, and you can't find 20. He said, Saul would go out and get one convert and you come back and it'd be a whole church there. He said, the reason was Saul stayed with them long enough until they got the genuine Holy Ghost. They say, set yourself on fire and the whole world will gather to watch you burn. And Saul was burning everywhere he went. He had an infectious personality. 
And the people he met, they were intoxicated by his enthusiasm. You know that word enthusiasm? It comes from the Greek word entheos. It means in God or God within. So if you want to manifest that God's with you, show a little enthusiasm. Say amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Brother Ed will be happy. I know Brother Tom and Brother John and Brother Tim and Brother Murphy and Brother Ken and Brother Kyle, Brother Michael, wh whoever's ministering, two Michaels now, whoever's ministering, they'll be happy. I've had several say, Brother Ernie, I'm sure glad we got an amen corner down there, you know. And, and see, people, people don't have any idea. Brother Branham said, when you say amen to a preacher, it's like saying sick them to a dog. You say sick them to a dog, that dog, he's excited. He wants to go out there and show. That's how a preacher is. See, it, it's, see, we don't understand. It's we that helps to operate the gift. The gift that's in Brother Ed. I, I can remember Brother Ed coming down south sometime and coming back here. He said, you know, he said, if I was preaching this down south, they'd burn the church down. <laughs> That's true. That's true, friends. Remember, we've got something to be excited about. This message sounds like it's too good to be true. When you really get in depth to it. But the reality is, this message is not only the best thing going, it's the only thing going in a rapture. The only thing going. Nothing else. Nobody else. No movement. No denominations. No oneness. No Jesus only. No Mormons, Hindus, Baptists. None of them. They're bolted down. Their denomination has got them bolted down. And when the magnet comes over, only the bride goes up. <laughs> Maybe they might try to go up. <laughs> Ain't going. <laughs> bolted down. Creeds, denomination, dogmas, ritual, custom. All these things have blinded their eyes. Been there, done that. I was blinded by the Catholic Church, blinded by the Baptist Church, blinded by the Assembly of God, blinding by the UPC, blinded by all of them. Every time I came, oh, God has sent a wonderful brother. When I left, oh, he was a devil. Sure. They say you can always tell the pioneers by the arrows in their back. I got lots of them right here. And I'm thankful for every one of them. Brother Branham said, thankful for the scars. We don't want to go to bed in a flowery bed of ease. Want some scars. Want some wounds. Want some bruises. As long as they're spiritual bruises, spiritual wounds. Brother Branham was having trouble with his voice. He was glad for it because it was for the gospel's sake. Yeah. Amen. What are we doing? You know, how many times have you heard Brother Ed said to the young people, Take your youth. Take your youth. Give it to God. Amen. They say the problem with youth is that it's wasted on the young. How about health? Man will give every bit of his health trying to gain wealth and then gladly give every bit of his wealth back trying to regain his health. 
So enjoy your youth. Enjoy your health. Enjoy the freedom you've got. If anybody's got a divine mission and a purpose and a meaning in their life, it's you, brother and sister. If, if, you, want, if you want to have a real deep thought, when you meet somebody on the street, in school, work, wherever, you are probably one, if not the only son or daughter of God they will ever meet in their entire life. Amen. They will never come eyeball to eyeball with another predestinated seed in their life. So that means you are their only shot. Talk about responsibility, friends. Talk about being, you know, on supercharged, super alert. Lord, you want me to speak to somebody? I remember two brothers that you know very well down in Oregon. I witnessed these brothers for seven years before they came to the message. Seven years. And some of them, you know, they would be coming along, coming along, coming along. And one of them, he had his, when I got too deep for him, this, it wasn't, it, he didn't do it in anger, didn't do it, you know, in a bad way, but he would just hang the phone up. And that was my signal. Brother Ernie, that's enough. That's enough. You've gone too far. When I told them, you know how I knew Brother Branham was a prophet? When I got the understanding where Brother Branham said, no, he was speaking to a sister. And I said, this sister, he said, you don't know me. I don't know you. But there is one here who does know you and does know me. And I was telling him, now, here's what Brother Branham said. Now, listen very carefully. I told him, I said, now, when he and his spirit comes in, me and my spirit goes away. And he wants to use my body. And he gives me a temporary resurrection in my spirit and I'm so happy to loan my body to him anything he can get out of it. And you know what happened? Click. <laughs> I didn't hear from him for about a week after that one. And finally he said, well, you know, is that real? I mean, did, did Jesus Christ really, you know, have Brother Branham check his spirit out? And go into another, like a holding pattern? And Jesus Christ came in to that body and he spoke to those lips and he told them who, what, when, where, why, where they come from, what their name was, what their address was. You're not here for yourself. You're here for your daughter. Your daughter's at an insane asylum. And then Brother Branham, he'd come wherever he was. He'd come, slam back into his body. He said, now, he said, it's all like a dream to me. But whatever he said, you do it. You know, if you can ever anchor that down, friends, you will not be able to get to your CD player fast enough. And Brother Ed had the wisdom when Brother Bobby Petrucci was here. He had him do the healing line. You want to hear? Could you imagine? Could you imagine if any of the other church ages, if they had the opportunity to hear Paul on a CD? Or Irenaeus, or Martin, or Columba, or Martin Luther, John Wesley? I thought one time, you know, I, I, I was in the religious Disney world when I was at PTL Club with Jim Baker. Now, Brother Ed, you like this one. He was, he was a marketing genius. So he goes to Israel, and he sees the two little widow's mites. And he asks them, he goes to the men, he says, can you mass produce these? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah. You mean you can make as many as I want? Oh, yeah, no problem. 
So he goes back, and they get a real nice little holding case, and they got those two little beautiful, brand new widow's mites, and they got the scripture in there, and the little, it probably cost them maybe about 30 cents for the whole deal. And he gets on, on television. He said, now, folks, he said, we've had a lot of great offers through the years. He said, but today, he said, I have got an offer for you. He said, for a limited time only. Anybody who signs up for the PTL and you give a donation of blank, 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 you're going to get the genuine widow's mites right from Israel. Now, I was going to the Bible school there. And, and I knew a lot of the guys that were security people and people that worked in the marketing department. They had to hire 10 more storage units just to put the mail in because they couldn't handle the mail fast enough. They had to hire 50 more people just to open the envelopes to count the money. Because they got two widow's mites from Israel. I often wonder, I said, imagine, you know, Brother Branham talks about, he says, every voice that goes, you know, it never goes away, it's out there somewhere. Could you imagine if one of those TV evangelists was able to go out there and able to capture Moses' voice and bring it down and put it on an MP3 and say, now folks, we've got an incredible offer for you. They said, we've got the voice, the very voice of Moses. When Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, we've got exactly what he said to the people. And for an offering of only $1,000, we're going to give you one of these original voices of Moses. And they would have the first pull. And that would go on for a few weeks. Then they would drop it down, second pull. Now we're extending this offer and for a donation of only 500 And they would break it all the way down. Now, here we are, friends. We have got the voice of God. Over a thousand masterpieces. Think about it. Brother Branham never preached a sermon that was not a masterpiece. Because it was Jesus Christ. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? And Brother has had the experience of having that presence of God. Could you imagine if you were Brother Branham and you had the angel of the Lord as your tutor sitting there? talking to you well you you've got to fulfill this got to fulfill this got to fulfill this sitting in the cabin and the man comes walking in there you know what let's say let's say if an angel you knew it was an angel of the lord and he came to you and he said sister Callista, we've got a trial for you that's the angel lord now jesus christ speaking to you he said we're going to have you go to jail for five years but it's for the Lord, it's for the kingdom, you know, and you know it's Jesus, and you know He's speaking to you, and you know He must have a purpose for it. Would you have any problems going to jail? No. I don't think any real believer would have any problem if you knew it was the Lord. Like Paul, look at what he endured. But he knew it was the Lord. The Lord knocked him off his horse. The Lord gave him a personal knock on the head and spoke to him, blinded him, sent Ananias, opened his eyes, filled him with the Holy Ghost. And now he's walking around. What am I going to do? Where? Who? How? I can imagine those apostles. What are we going to do with that guy? I mean, this can't be real. 
I mean, no, nobody can go from that bad to that good so quick. <clears throat> they don't know the power of their God as yet. But later, think of how many billions of people through the 2,000 years since Saul have been inspired by his epistles. I can imagine, I think sometimes of Paul with the nature that he had. He even talked, I'm brutish, you know, I'm hard of speech. Could you imagine what it must have been like for Paul to go from where he was as a Pharisee? 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the tongue of men and angels and have not charity, have not love, it profiteth me nothing. You think God didn't have to do a great work in his life to humble him down and show him that the dogs that he used to look down on are now his eternal brothers and sisters with the same DNA inside of them, God's genetic code inside of them, their little messiahs. And it's your mission, so you are... See, Paul, he, besides Brother Branham, Paul was the only prophet messenger. Irenaeus, Columba, Martin, Martin Luther, John Wesley, they were great men. But they were messengers. They were not word prophets. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, and I've never told this story before. But it, it may help some of you. When I was in the Assembly of God, 1978, I had just been saved, and I was in the Baptist church for a while, and then I got converted, went to the Assembly of God church. So now this young evangelist comes to our church. His name is Benny Hinn. And Benny Hinn comes to our church. Now our pastor, our church had 5,000 people. It was one of the first mega churches in Orlando. He was the leader of the charismatic movement. He was with Jamie Buckingham and, and uh, you know, all those fellows that were traveling around. Young Hai Cho used to come to our church every year. Our pastor used to go to South Korea every year to go to Young Hai Cho's church. And uh, so, so Benny Hinn comes in. And our pastor, he was, a, I mean, he was a great preacher. He was a great teacher. He was from England. And he still had a little bit of the English accent. But he loved the book of Daniel and Revelation. He would revel when he would speak on those things. And of course, those were in the days when, uh, you know, when, when the, uh, the, the revelation was, was coming out, uh, the planet, planet Earth and Hal Lindsey and all of his books. Everybody's waiting for a rapture. All you heard was rapture, 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 rapture. So Benny Hinn comes. Our pastor likes him, opens up the door for all the charismatic churches around the country and around the world. Then the announcement comes. Benny Hinn is going to marry our pastor's daughter, Suzanne. Now, Suzanne, she was an innocent young girl. and She was like a giggly teenager. She's about 21 years old, but she's never been out in the world, never been out with a boy. And now Benny Hinn and Suzanne are going to get married. And so they get married. And Benny Hinn, he goes out and he starts his ministry. And, uh, and him and Suzanne, they have some children. Then they wind up getting divorced. Last I knew, they're trying to get back together again. So when I came to the message, I had gone to Bible school. While I'm away at Bible school, our pastor at this great big Assembly of God church, he had got into trouble, fallen in sin. 
we are in the middle of building a $600 million church to accommodate all the people that were coming in. The church had an escalator. Went from the ground floor, escalator to the first floor, second floor, third floor, and then the balcony. Had a gigantic mortgage on this church. And the pastor falls in sin. And he is the keynote. He, he, I mean, he's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> and the deacons and the trustees, they forgave him. Adultery. It happened the second time. And they forgave him the second time. And I, this is while, while I was away at Bible school. And I heard about it. The third time, they said, well, that's it. We can't handle it anymore. And I saw the video. He, he comes in the side door. And the deacons, they're literally having to carry him. They're having to carry him to the pulpit. And he's there. And he's sobbing. And he's crying. And, he, and he's pleading for forgiveness. And he's confessing. And in the assembly of God, they put him on probation, and he has to travel around to you know, some of the other smaller churches as an itinerant evangelist. So in the meantime, the church splits right down the middle. 7,000 people. And we had lots of multimillionaires on the way to becoming billionaires in the church. One guy owned 35 car lots around Orlando. Another guy, he owned 35 Goodings supermarkets, they're like Safeways. So all the rich people, they left because they didn't like the new pastor that was coming. He was the youth pastor. They didn't like him. So they left, went seven miles across town, and guess who they called to be their pastor? Benny Hinn. So Benny walks in. He's got a church with 3,500 people to start with. Multi-millionaires. He gives carte blanche to no problem. Jet planes, no problem. Radio program, no problem. TV studio, you got it. Whatever you need, Benny, it's yours. And so he goes out there. And so now I'm in Orlando. And so I knew Benny pretty well. In fact, when I was at PTL, he used to come and visit PTL. And I used to spend time with him there. So now I go to the church, and I got a church age book, and I got a seals book, and I got 20th century prophet, deep call of deep, as the eagle stirs the nest, I am a witness, and I got them a little, a little bag for Benny. And I go in the church. I said, I said, Benny around? No, Benny's not here. I said, well, you know when he'll be back? Uh, no, don't know. I said, okay, I got something I want to give them personally. So I walk out the door, I'm driving away, and I look over, and there I see him. Had a big old Mercedes Benz, and he's talking to the construction guy. He's pointing up there and doing a great big building program. So I drive over, I park the car, and I get out. And so Benny says, Ernie, what are you doing here? I said, why? Well, I, 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 th I thought you moved out the way. I says, yeah, I'm just visiting, and I, I've got something I want to give to you. He said, really? What is it? I said, uh, I, I've got some videos of William Branham. Now, as God is my judge, friends... His eyes got like, like as big as saucers. And he reached in his pocket. He says, you have videos of William Branham? How much are they? And he starts reaching in his pocket, trying to pull out his money. I said, no. I said, I said these are not for sale. I said, these, these are for you. And so I tried to witness to a lot of people from his church. No success. So now, Benny shows 20th century prophet, shows deep call to the deep, shows all these things, and he starts talking about Brother Branham. What a great man of God he is. And he's a prophet. Maybe some of you have even seen some of them on YouTube, where he goes and he speaks. 
These people, friends, like Brother Ed said, if time were to go on, Brother Branham would become an icon in the religious world. Just like John Wesley did, just like Martin Luther did. They, they say Brother Branham is a prophet, but they do not have a scintilla of a clue of what a word prophet is. And you have a word prophet that's instructing you. We've got tomorrow's headlines today. So now Saul, he goes to Jerusalem. That, and he's, he's, there's, there's a problem there. A, a famine's going on. So Paul, he's bringing things in to help, help the brethren. And they're not, at first they received them, but then the word got around there. This, guy, this guy's the one. He's the one that's causing all this. That's the one we hired to get rid of these Christians. Now he's a ringleader. And the Bible said, you, go look up the word ringleader. The Bible said Paul was a ringleader. Right in the book of Acts. And they said, he's the one that, 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 that's spreading all of this heresy. And so now they're after him. And they almost got him. A mob scene. And a mob scene almost gets him. And, and they call for the captain. And the captain comes down. And he sees a riot going on. He said, what's going on here? So one guy's saying this. One guy's saying this. So he goes in. He gets his guys. And they pull Saul out of there. And so now they're going to question Saul. You know how they question him? They said they were going to question him by scourging. In other words, they were going to beat him and whip him. We talk about police brutality. These guys were experts back there. The police brutality, they're Boy Scouts now compared to what they were back then. They were going to examine him. Now the Jews, they're not happy about this. So they go and they try to do everything they can to exert pressure on the captain to let him go. We want him. Let us have our justice. with him. He's done incredible things. He's bad news. But God saw to see a different way. So now, just as they're getting ready to scourge Paul. Now, you know another thing. People say Saul had his name changed from Saul to Paul. Saul, he was a citizen. He was a citizen. He had two names. He had Saul and Paul. Paul was his Roman Greek name. And so, just as they're ready to scourge him, Saul says, what are you doing? Do you normally, is it customary to you beat a, a citizen? What? And so Saul uses wisdom. Said, yeah, that's me. I'm a citizen. You scourge me, you're in big trouble. So the word gets back. And they grab, oh no, we can't do that. And so now all the politics come into play. And, and, and Paul now, at the same time, Paul, he says, I want to speak to them again. So Paul gets up there and he, he, he preaches Christ again. And they really get upset now. And so now they're going to, they're still holding him. And so now they send some spies in. They said, uh, uh, would, would, you bring, would you bring Paul down again? We want to question him just about, you know, some, some nice thing. We just, we just want to clarify some things. Meanwhile, they got a plot waiting for him, ready to kill him. You know what happens? Paul's sister's son. Paul's nephew hears about the plot. So he goes to the captain and he tells the captain what's going on. And so the captain finds out it's true and he gets 200 soldiers and gives Saul an escort. 
because Saul said, I'm not going to appeal to Caesar. So now he gets an escort. Because all the Jews, they had all the hit team waiting for him on the way. They didn't get him. And so now, you know, Saul goes through all kind of, of, of good things, hard things, and now he's on the ship. And while he's on the ship, he's getting favor with the guards that are protecting him. And he's able to, you know, go around and move around freely. And then the storm comes up. And the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord, comes to Saul and said, It's going to be okay, Saul. He said, No lives are going to be lost, but the ship. ship's not going to make it. So Paul, now these people have been fasting for 14 days. There's a bad storm. And Saul goes, bounces, okay, guys, everything's okay. Don't worry. No lives are going to be lost, but the ship, ship's not going to make it. How do you know these things? Well, you know, the God that I serve, you know, he, he appeared before me and told me these things. So it happened just exactly that way. They went there and, and the ship got, you know, went on the rocks and everybody went to shore. And so now... The prisoners, they're all, you know, going to shore. And the soldiers say, hey, we can't let this happen. We've got to kill all these prisoners. We can't let them get loose. But God moves on the scene says, no, don't worry, just let them go. And so they all get to shore. Everything works out well. And so finally Paul gets there to Rome. And he speaks to Felix and... Uh, you know, Felix, when, when Paul begins to preach to him, and Felix says, uh, uh, he gets stirred. I mean, he, he's shaken. He says, Saul, I, I, I'll hear you again at a more convenient time. <laughs> Never was a more convenient time for him after that. And then he goes, he, he goes in front of Festus. He goes in front of Felix. He goes in front of Agrippa. One of them says, Paul. He stands up, Paul, much learning hath made you mad. Saul said, no, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. He said, I've just got the mind of Christ. All these things I'm telling you, they're true. They come from heaven. They come from God Himself. And the other one says, Saul, almost. Remember, one says, I'll hear you at a more convenient time. Next one says, Saul, your learning has made you mad. The other one says, Saul, He looks at him real long and real hard. He said, Saul, almost persuadest thou me to become a Christian. So one wants to hear at a more convenient time. The other one says, your learning has made you mad. The third one says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Saul says, I'm not mad. He said, not only that, he said, I not only want you to become a Christian, I want everybody to hear it. I want everybody to be saved. So now let's turn as we close over to the, the book of Corinthians. And I'm going to read verse 
In 2 Corinthians, verse 11, verse 16, Paul's saying, I say again, let no man think me a fool. Remember, the world thought Paul was a fool. And so the sermon was, fools for Christ. They thought Saul was a fool. And you know, when, I, when you go back and forth from Saul to Paul, when you look in the, the, the uh, concordance, you look in the message search, and you put Saul, Paul, Brother Branham uses those words together. He uses Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul, Paul. He uses them together, not in different places. You read the, the scripture or read the, the message. He said, Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul. So Paul says, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. I'm going to read a little bit here, and just read between the lines now. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also." For ye yourself suffer fools gladly, seeing yourself a why. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak, howbeit wheresoever any is bold. And in parenthesis of your Bible, Paul is saying, I speak foolishly. What, what Paul said, I shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't have to be saying this. But I'm going to, you let everybody else in the world boast, let me boast a little bit. I'm doing this foolishly, shouldn't be doing it, shouldn't even have to do it, but I'm going to do it. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Paul's against it. I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received thy forty stripes, save one. That means 195 brutal lashes of the whip. And those Romans, they knew how to whip, friends. They had the whip. And at the end of the whip, they had these little, they called them lictors. They were like little nails at the end of the whip. And they would take that whip, and they would crack that whip, and it would go, and it would hit a man's back. And that nail would rip the flesh out and break the, crack the bones. So Paul got that kind of treatment five times. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You know what happened when Saul was stoned? They took him out. They stoned him. They left him for dead. And they walked away. Well, God just raised up Saul. He got up, brushed himself off. He said, okay, uh, where's the next meeting? He so went to the next meeting. I wonder how long it would have took for us to get up after we got stoned. Didn't bother Paul, apparently. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. 
False brethren. That's a peril. You know, when you lose lose people that you love, whether it's a family member, close friend, it's a peril. When you lose a whole bunch of them at one time, it's a big peril. But all you can say is, that's God. God put me through it. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's God's business, not my business. My business is to deal with it the way a Christian would deal with it. You know, I think I told you before the definition of patience. Patience is the ability to idle your motor when you feel like stripping your gears. And you know, sometimes we need patience. Wait. Wait on God. Wait to see what God's doing. Uh, just a little side story, just to, you know, take, take your mind off things for a minute. There was a woman one time, she came for prayer, and she told the, the minister, she said, Pastor, I want patience. He said, okay. So he started praying. He said, oh, God, send our sister trials, tribulations, challenges, discipline. And she said, what are you doing? He said, well, you, you said you wanted patience, right? She said, yeah. He said, well, the trial of your faith, work with patience. So the best thing for you to do is to accept patience by faith. Just have patience. And just wait. Wait on God. In weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger. Remember, Paul most of the time didn't have a house to live in. He's like our Lord most of the time. He he was a homeless person. A street person. Saul didn't have a life of luxury, friends. In hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things which are without, they which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Imagine everything this man is going through. I mean, you take this and you try to put that into a video format. What one man went through in his life. They wouldn't believe it. You know what they're getting ready to do? You watch. Next month, the Catholic Church is coming out with a new movie. It's called Francis, A Man of His Word. I've seen little clips of it. Videos of his pilgrimages all around the world. Hundreds of thousands of people washing the feet of the homeless people. Praying for the sick. You want to talk about a Superman, Hollywood. They, they got nothing on what Rome is doing. They're going to make this man look like a modern Superman. Remember, friends, Antichrist, false prophet. Now, when the bride goes up, Satan comes down. Whoever is on that throne, the Pope's going to say, Hey, I got a body that i got to live in, and it's yours. And he becomes the beast. And he's not happy because the bride's gone. And now he goes after the foolish virgin, goes after the 144,000, finally kills them, has them laying in the street. And finally, they've got a, they a party going on, giving presents. Finally, somebody has been able to bring some order into all this insanity. We don't know where these two men come from, these two guys. We don't know if they're alien beings from another galaxy somewhere, the ones that brought all these trials on the, the world. But finally, our leader has got them dead for three days. All the cameras, 24 hours a day, 
Here's the guys. These are the ones. They did it. They brought the plagues. They turned the water into blood. And then God raises them up. And they have their own private rapture. And they come and join us in the sky. And then the bride comes back. Wonderful millennium reign. Thousand years after the wedding supper, friends. My, you want to talk about a future? Take your station of creation in your imagination and plug it into the Bible. Plug it into the message. Go to the future home of the heavenly bride and bridegroom. When I first came to the message, Brother Tom, I was reading souls that are in prison now. Didn't even know there were churches. All I had was Brother Arnie. And you know that story, Brother Ed. I thought I was, I was in a mess. And I read souls that are in prison now, and Brother Branham saying, could it be? Could it be? It's already, they're already sealed. And I'm just crying, no, can't be. I just found it. How, how can it be that, it was, that it's already over? It's not over, friends. If you're here, there's blood available for you. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. God wants to make a fanatic out of you, just like He did to Paul. And the, Brother Branham said the world could use a few more fanatics. People that will go out there and let the world know that Jesus Christ is still alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me just finish this. Besides, of all the beatings that he took, he said, besides these things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He was away with his burden. All his churches in Corinth in Galatia, and if he, all the churches that he had pioneered, all the problems they're having, the false apostles, people creeping in, trying to bust up the churches. That's all on Paul's shoulders as well as all the, the torture and beatings that he's going through. Hunger, cold, nakedness. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. Let's stand to our feet. If I must needs glory... I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities, my challenges, my trials, my disappointments, my frustrations, my upsets, work, car, family, whatever it is. If you're going to glory, glory in your infirmities. Because Jehovah Jireh knows where you are you wouldn't be in the situation you're in without God allowing it to happen. He knows where you are and He knows how to get you back to where you need to be. Or He knows how to... You may be a righteous person in the middle of a trial and God knows how to deliver you. If I must need glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. Here's Paul's punctuation point. When I was in Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison, a whole army, desirous to apprehend me. Paul was a, a one-man fugitive. He was on, he, he, they had an APB out for Paul. 
the king kept the city of Damascene with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. Paul was in a problem, great problem. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that you allow us to look into your word. And we have a, a prophet who is able to take us deeper into the life of this great prophet messenger. The one he says that he preaches the same gospel that, that Paul preached. And Lord, we want to live that same gospel that Paul lived. What an example, Father. I pray, Lord, tonight that you'll speak to somebody. Somebody, Lord, maybe right in the hour of decision. As Brother Tim preached a while ago about the, the algorithms. Maybe Facebook has got a grip on you. Or maybe social media. Or maybe the world. Or maybe music. Or entertainment. Or pleasure. Or, or a, an ungodly person that's trying to win your affection Father, I pray that you would deliver each and every true son or daughter of God quickly, Lord. Deliver them to the throne of grace that they may present their body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. God bless you. One of them. Whose fool are you? Brother Ernie's title was A Fool for Christ. Oh, thanks for that. Whose fool are you? I'm one of them. I'm a fool for Christ. I'll stand as Paul stood, as the saints throughout the ages stood, will bear the reproach for Christ. One of them.
them? Amen. I'm identified with Jesus Christ. Though it seemed foolish to the world, it's eternal life. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Maybe there's somebody here that has not made that decision. Maybe someone that hasn't really identified themselves with the bleeding word of our day. And you want to be identified with Him. Jesus Christ, the living God. Rejected by the world, but received of Christ. Heavenly Father, tonight we heard your word. We heard about Paul. We heard about Saul. Lord, a paradox to many. Some looked at him in terror, and then they looked again and saw him as the redeemed Son of God. Lord, they recognized the power of the resurrection within the life of that glorious apostle Paul. Lord, we saw as Brother Ernie walked through the pages of the Bible, how he stood, how he lived, how he was identified, rejected of man, but Lord, not rejected of Christ. And so, Lord, this evening, as we've heard it, Lord, we want to be received of God. We want to embrace the cross. We want to embrace this lovely one. Lord, let the world go its way and they become fools for Hollywood. Fools for the gaming world. Fools for Laodicea. But we are a group of people that will be identified as fools for Christ. And Lord, and we are so thankful that we have that identification. And we have embraced you as our Savior and our Lord. So, Father, we just pray now that your grace will go with each and every one of us as we ponder these things that Paul went through. Lord, give us the courage to stand as Paul did. In the face of all affliction, he didn't waver. He stood with the Redeemer. Bless your people now. We ask in Jesus' name, go with us. Amen. One of them, greet one another. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.